Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode today. Special guest Steve Jones Jr., Twitter thread legend, former assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets, who is the video coordinator, the video guy, if you will, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Before that, he's been around. He's got some awesome insights in X's and O's, and he stopped by to give us some takes and some assessments on the NBA Finals in Game 1 and what he saw. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into that conversation. Apologies for some iffy audio. I'm not sure. We, we had some struggles with the audio beforehand, getting the jump going, and there's some spots where uh, our volume changes and things like that. So apologies in advance if that's an issue. But otherwise, Steve Jones Jr., thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we get this done. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for longer than anyone out there will ever realize you enjoy some basketball last night i did it was nice to actually have the game and actually be able to watch the game because for me it was a weird prelude because i you don't you don't know what to expect you know we've had so many years of warriors Cavs, now it's warriors raptors and so many things could happen and now we saw it you know and the raptors they had a chance but after last night they really got a chance so it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here here's here's my big question did you see anything last night that makes you change your opinion about the series from what you had before the game? No. Hmm. And no in the sense that you knew, and, and just from the last two series that Toronto had, you knew that it was going to take offensive contributions from the other guys. And not even talk about Siakam, but Gasol, Van Fleet, um, Lowry didn't play well, and that's a whole nother subtopic that I want to jump onto. But you knew it was going to take those guys playing well, them being able to get some points in transition for them to win games, and they got that. So their path to victory stays intact. The interesting part is Golden State was still in that game. You know, I feel like everyone who watched that felt like Toronto played really, really well. Golden State was still hanging around. Um, Toronto answered every time, but it's just going to be really interesting to see what Golden State does now that they know what's coming. So I want to dive into that a little bit more because for me, game ones, I don't necessarily look at the outcome of the shots or even the score or anything like that sometimes. It's more about who's getting better looks, who seems to be able to execute on the scheme they have in place better. You know, if you're more physically dominant or you're faster or you can take something away right out of the gate, I'm more interested in that than, you know, shot making. And last night was interesting for me because I thought Toronto had a lot of great shot making. And I actually forgot about that. I went back and rewatched some of the game afterwards. And it was like, wow, Marc Gasol hit like every long jumper. And Fred Van Fleet is throwing stuff off the backboard. And they just, they were pretty solid with their shot making. And so that makes it a little confounding to me to say, okay, well, yes, they got good shots at times and they played well and they had these physical advantages. But. 
how much of it was shot making how different would we feel if they missed a couple buckets golden state put together a little run at the end and they stole the game without durant you like you see what i'm saying no yeah oh yeah if 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 the raptors had put this performance up and golden state had taken that lead at the end we would just be praising Golden State and saying, "Oh, Toronto, this is what happens when you play the Warriors." Well, you'd so say that you'd say they played so well and they still lost. Yep. Right. So, and, and that's yeah, that's the weird part is because Golden State, you can make an argument they didn't really play that well. Right. Right. Draymond <laughs> Draymond said that in the press conference, which I thought was interesting because, as a basketball brain, I'm not sure there are more guys that I think have a faster computer chip. And he looked. Maybe we can get into this now. He looked a little rusty to me on both ends of the court. And I don't know how much of that is feeling out or the, the time off or anything like that. But he just immediately said in the post game, like we did not play well and we were in the game. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, I think he missed some passes. I think defensively it was an adjustment for him. When you come off two series against Houston and Portland, where he was able to cause havoc defensively on the weak side, he also had guys he could help off of. So he had Harkless, he had Aminu, he had PJ Tucker, uh, Capella every now and then, but he had guys he, where he knew how and when to help. This series is a little different because Siakam's a little bit of a different animal. Toronto's cutting him, putting him in different scenarios, but also Siakam's attacking him. Not a lot of those guys were able to go at him one-on-one in the way Siakam did last night. So I think his, and this feels weird, but it felt like the Warriors were almost in data-collecting mode to where they were trying to understand what they were up against more than, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z against you guys. That feels weird to say after game one of the finals, but that kind of feels like a take right now. Well, it's their fifth final. I, 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 what you're saying resonates with me because it's their fifth finals in a row, and I think not only do you have a lot of experienced players who are cerebral, but the co- just the coaching staff, Kerr's approach. Like They, they played 11 guys last night in the rotation. They played a 12th. Uh, someone came in at the very end of the game. I'm forgetting who it was because they played 11 guys so I can't even keep track of who the 12th was but they had an 11-man rotation basically and to me that's very indicative of how they philosophically approach a series they're willing to feel feel it out they're willing to I like this term you're using they're willing to collect data and and kind of go from there and see what happens yeah because I mean outside of some post doubles against Kawhi and some aggressive pick and roll defense it didn't feel like they had a thing they were trying to do you know what I mean Usually you can tell, hey, this is what a team wants to do game plan-wise, and it just felt like they were kind of figuring it out on the fly a little bit. So let's talk a little bit more about Draymond, because I love this observation that in the last two series, he really was more that weak side, roamer, cause havoc, things that really feed into his strength in terms of timing, when to come, stunting, you know, just kind of mentally manipulating people. Here, Siakam attacking him more. There are a lot of people I've heard this morning talk about how impressed they are with Siakam's ability to go at him physically with the quickness and the length and the way he has those little off-balance, awkward shots around the rim. What what, what do you think of we're going to see going forward? Is it going to be more of that? Or does an adjustment either by Draymond or Golden State kind of come in and, and put a stop to that? Not that we're going to expect him to go 14 of 17 at any point in the series again. Well, I think it's twofold in the sense that this is some carryover for Siakam, just to address that firstly. In the Philadelphia series, they put a big on him. They put Embiid on him. You know, in the Milwaukee series, he was battling against length and athleticism. Draymond, as good as he is, 
is a little bit different than that size he's gone against. So it, it kind of feels a little, I, I would assume, refreshing for him to be able to attack the basket against Draymond. That sounds like an awful thing to say about a great defensive player, but I'm already said it. <laughs> now, the other side of it is I, I fully expect that Pascal Siakam is going to have Golden State and Draymond Green's full attention, and it's not going to be that easy in game two. And that's going to be the adjustment for him because as good as he's been and he – who on earth thought he would be in this position to be the second most important offensive player for the Raptors in the NBA Finals? Well, right? I, I did, technically, um, but that's neither here nor there. The, the the thing I was going on with that, with your, <laughs> I'm just slipping that in. Look, I've taken a lot of flack for this. I, <laughs> you can't casually slip that in. You can't do a victory lap. I I don't get to do many victory laps. Um, so it's not even a, it's not even a hard one. I just literally have said to basically everyone that I think he's their second best and second most important offensive player through this playoff run. And, you know, if you look at the fact that the Raptors are now where the most recent spot I was wrong was I flipped at a certain point and thought the Bucks were better than the Raptors. They still may be, I don't know, but the, what Toronto did was incredible in that series to me, even if they lost the series. I just think I was wrong on how good Toronto was able to or how well they were able to match up with them and how well they were able to physically exert what they wanted to do on both sides once they made the the scheme adjustment uh, in the second half of the series. So totally wrong on that. But in this case, I can see the value in Siakam being that guy, right? That's that's the only thing mm-hmm. I'm saying. No, I understand. And I think the other part I want to mention, and I think Draymond spoke about it, their transition defense was really bad last night. Yeah, the it was sloppy. Defense- really bad yeah and you, you can't be that bad especially when Siakam is kind of the top of the line for the Raptors when it comes to that he's gonna be the guy who if he gets a rebound or an outlet he's gonna push it harder than anyone else so I think they're gonna be more prepared for him in transition and now the question becomes do you try and guard him better individually in the half court or do you start sending more help and the danger for Golden State is if you start sending help to Siakam, who are you not helping off right. of? You know what I mean? Right. So, so so two things there, I think. One, not only Siakam with grab and go in transition, but – and I think there were two plays last night where I just yelled it out once the rebound came off. He's as fast as anybody without the ball, and Lowry loves those hit-aheads, and you just – you cannot relax at – you're, you know, you cannot relax at the opposite foul line, basically. You miss the shot, and he's off like a sprinter. He's got that little Usain Bolt takeoff. So not just with the ball in transition. The other thing to your point there is I think if anything, maybe I'm interested if you agree with this. You could argue that their focus for game one was to take away Kawhi's stuff in the pick-and-roll game. Not that he's LeBron James, but there was more attention on that. He had more traps. Kawhi felt in the presser after the game that they were just basically uh, doubling and trapping and overloading him all night. And in fact, now that I'm speaking out loud on this, Steph Curry had those, we don't know what to call it, those like pre-rotations, the the overloading on one side where he comes across the lane prematurely, right? They were doing stuff like that. So to your point, if you buy that, there was a little attention that the game plan said we're going to focus on Kawhi-centric stuff. And now how does that change if it shifts more toward Pascal-centric stuff? Yep. 
and that's that's where I, I think it's interesting. And and to your point, yeah, they were showing help early, which I'd never understood because it's not like Steph Curry was actually impacting Kawhi. That was, was what's really weird. Just, why was why was open. Curry the why was Curry the guy? I, they were just trying to send him from the uh, corner, but then you're helping off a shooter. And I felt like it, they kind of doubled their way into trouble. Like some teams, when they start switching everything, they switch their way into a mismatch. Right. I feel, I feel like Golden State kind of does this weird thing in game ones where they have an idea and they throw it out there and then it gets them in trouble. Like I think it was the Portland series. They doubled Cantor in the post and Portland scored like eight points in a row off of it. And it was like, why are you guys doing that? I don't understand. That felt kind of like that. It's the data collection. Yeah, but now they know, okay, we're not going to do that. So, and this is why these these guys playing this well makes it interesting for Golden State. Now, I figure they're just going to take what they want to do and tweak it now that they know what's going they're up against. But now you got to pay attention to Gasol. Now you got to pay attention to Van Fleet. Now you got to pay attention to Siakam. Can they do it four out of, four out of the six games? I mean, three out of the six games that are left? Who knows? But the threat is there, and that's very important in a playoff series where if you got guys who are, don't want to help off someone, now it messes up your defense. So that's going to be interesting going forward. Right. right. And, and the other thing is you were talking through that. They were sending, they were sending a guy, it was Danny Green sometimes, they were just basically having someone cut from one corner to the other strong mm-hmm. side to weak side and i think they do that. i was trying to remember how often toronto does that maybe you have some insight on that but that was an interesting little wrinkle that they were that the raptors were adding in that i think they had uh pre-designated before the game oh no the raptors did a very good job of adjusting to that over the course of the game especially with not just the cuts but also even in pick and roll once they saw they wanted to help off siakam they moved Siakam under the basket. They had him cut around the basket, and it didn't let the Warriors kind of really wrap their hands around exactly what Toronto was doing. They were unpredictable, and, that, and that's important. Right. So the the speaking specifically to something like Siakam, they, they were putting him in the dunker spot at times mm-hmm. and things like that. That that wasn't something that was occurring early in the game. That was an on-the-fly adjustment. Yes, I believe that's something they went to more in the second half. Now, in the first quarter, he had some moments where he was on the perimeter and they would run some action. He would cut from the weak side to the dunker. But this was straight up, I'm going to stay under the basket and you don't know if I'm going to cut under the rim, if I'm going to get the ball. And now Draymond's a little bit more hesitant to show that same help that he was showing earlier because he's got to pay attention to where, where's Siakam going to cut. It's interesting because I didn't, I haven't rewatched, I haven't dived into all of the film. But my take going back was that the Raptors got more open looks early. I think they had a bunch of open threes in the first quarter, and that settled down a little bit. But on the flip side, the offenses, the offensive efficiency of both teams just ramped up in the last three quarters. And as you talk about these adjustments, they were clearly very successful. It, I don't know where I'm going with this. Maybe something philosophical about, you know, did you think it was better offense last night or weaker defense? I mean, the, the offensive ratings of both teams were really high. I think they finished like 126 to 116 or something, and that was after a really low-scoring first quarter. I think it's a combination of good shot-making with a defense that didn't know what was coming. And that's not to discredit Toronto, but I, I, I done, didn't watch that game and say, wow, they created a lot of... Uh, mismatches with what they were doing now I with that being said I think they did a great job of exploiting what Golden State was trying to do to Kawhi 
with all the times that Gasol would set a pick and roll, they would show or kind of trap almost, and Gasol would slip. Now he's got an advantage, and he's finding the right man. That would be an exploit where I'd say that's really good offense. A lot of what they did is transition, and they made shots. And so that can kind of mask, hey, this is a team that's doing a great job versus, you know, this is a team that just scored. And that's going to be the interesting part. So on the other side, I don't think Golden State played all well offensively. So let's talk about that. Um, d- dive into what you think they didn't necessarily do that well. I had it down in my notes. Well, fi- you got to find those notes, Steve. Uh, they're right here in front of me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody. But it was just I don't know what they were trying to execute. And that's not like an insult or anything like that. But generally, you can see when Golden State's trying to execute something, whether it's Curry pick and roll, Curry Draymond pick and roll, post splits, cuts. It just felt like they were playing. <laughs> you know, it just felt like, okay, we're going to pass, we're going to cut, we're going to pass, we're going to cut. It's a little bit tougher to do that when you have some of these lineups where Toronto is saying, okay, we're going to help off Draymond, we're going to help off Iguodala. When the bench comes in, we're helping off all those guys. Now what are you going to do? So it's, it, it makes it tough, and it, I never felt like I had a true feeling that, okay, Golden State has found something to exploit, and they're going to keep going after it. And maybe that goes back to the data collection, but it just it's hard to explain because they still were in the game, but it just didn't feel like they had that same zip offensively. So the note I sent over to you, and I think I've I've heard other people ask this as well, why don't you think they run – Curry Draymond pick and roll more often. I mean, we we basically I don't think we saw it really at all last night in second half or fourth quarter a little bit if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. But still, there begs that question. You know, why? And it could be another combo, but that's just the one that jumps out to a lot of people. Why wouldn't you think they run that more? I feel like they don't like to show their hand a lot. Like, even when Durant's in the lineup, they don't run a ton of Durant-Curry pick-and-roll when you could run that almost every time down the floor. Um, I think they like to keep that in their back pocket and also just keep up with their style of play where they're just kind of moving and kind of you don't know what's going on. So I feel like they like to keep that Draymond-Curry pick-and-roll in the back pocket and kind of see if they can use it in the fourth quarter so you, you don't get a read on it, you don't have a plan for it, you're trying to adjust on the fly. That, that would be my best guess. Interesting. They, they're, they're so good that they, <laughs> they just have a backup plan whenever they need it. Um, that, sounds, that sounds absurd. Yeah. But it, it feels like they just don't want to show that all the time because then, you know, teams get used to it and they can figure out exactly what they want to do. Well, it's interesting because you would think scouting them, there's so much, you know, so many instance of, instances of it and so much footage of it out there that they would have a have an idea of how to game plan for it. But of course, it is different seeing the actual thing on the fly so maybe you know maybe there's validity to that strategy i don't know let's stay on this side of the ball uh, i had a question from twitter it came in from cameron williams and he was asking about gasol's defense in the pick and roll uh he was very active got his hands on some stuff got some you know got his hands in the cookie jar had some foul issues showed that he was willing to come out on the perimeter what are your what are your thoughts on that of course heading into the series people were wondering how mobile and how active he'd be able to be against the the Warriors setup. I guess people forgot Marcus Gasol is good at defense and was defensive good. player of the year. He's pretty good. But um, I thought he did his job. He's up at the level, which is what you have to do against the Warriors. And because of Toronto's mindset defensively, you can trust that the help's going to be behind him. 
So he what he did was he was active, able to contest threes, able to contain the drive, and that's going to be the next step here in the next game. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But I thought what Mark did was he set the tone by showing, hey, we're going to be aggressive, we're going to be active, and we're going to make it work. And that's really important when that front line is doing that well. That allows that help to really come in. And now, especially when you have some lineups where you can help off some of these warriors like Iguodala, Draymond, who haven't made Toronto pay yet, it, it allows you to be more aggressive. So that can kind of, that's something that can build up over the course of the game. Now, one thing, I think Golden State's going to throw some counters. I think they're going to set some higher pick and rolls. And I think they're going to try and dribble penetrate. And just to uh-huh. just to jump in, so people maybe aren't familiar with the terminology, Mark coming up to the level is the level of the screen. So yes. if they pull the pick and roll out higher, it it stretch it asks more of the defense. It stretches them and uses that space. And we've seen the Warriors do this many times in the past to teams. So so keep going on that. Just wanted to make yes. sure everyone was no, clear. So essentially, you're gonna they're gonna have that screener set it higher, which either is gonna make the big come out higher, or the big is gonna be waiting to catch the drive at the three point line. So the guard's gonna have more space. Um, I think that's one way they can counter it. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways is Toronto was able to take away those roles, like Looney, Bell, even Cousins. How many roles did they have to the rim? They had a only a couple, I believe, and those were off of the the gravity plays. One of them was one one or two of them were ATOs after timeouts, so right. it wasn't even direct, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's one of the things where when we're talking about the lineups and the threats that the Warriors have, Toronto's able to help off of that role. So now, when I, as you say, Mark is at the level, he's at the level of the screen to take away that three pointer and, and, and be aggressive that way. You're not getting the role. You're getting a skip to someone Toronto wants to. So Toronto's able to kind of dictate in that way. Now, there's ways for Golden State to counter that, and we'll see that here, here coming up in game two. But I thought it was very interesting that Golden State couldn't get a big loose, um, more to speak. Now, since I'm on a tangent, we'll talk <laughs> keep, about this later. Keep it going. Here's the one thing that's going to be interesting. Clay and Steph Curry had a lot of success coming off quick down screens, quick pin downs. That's a tough action to guard. I wonder how much more they go to it because even as a big, if you're at the level, that's going to open up a role for um, Golden State's big because uh, you have to come up to try and stop Steph or Clay. Right. And that can open up a lot of different things. So, and I, I felt like every time they got loose on those actions, they made the shot. <laughs> well, they definitely, yeah, they got him a couple times, uh, bo- both the uh, the shooters and the Splash Brothers, and also I think that was where they struggled with containing the big, big who sets that pick off ball. It's a really mm-hmm. difficult action to defend. Golden State has just gashed the league with it, basically. Oh, yeah, because you look up and all of a sudden here's Steph Curry flying off the screen, and now you have to react. Like, it's not something you can just ignore. Um, it happens so quick. Now, the only thing is... Can Iguodala and Draymond mix in some mix? You know they can't they can't go over six from three. Um, they have to have some timely buckets if if, go, if Toronto's going to help off them like this. So, did you have another counter? Because this is all leading me to a new thought. Oh uh, no, go to your new thought. Okay, uh, so I'm, I'm ready. Right, so we're we're discussing all of this, and this is even the sort of joy I was getting watching some of these X's and O chess matches unfold on the court last night. How many incredible high Q players 
are on the court at any given time in this series. And when was the last time you remember seeing a, a high level series like this where it's just like I'm looking out there and it's like six, seven, eight guys on the floor are really cerebral players who, I mean, you already touched on it, can can implement very fluid, dynamic schemes. They're flexible. They can read the game on the fly. They they can think ahead. They can think ahead of the next counter. I, I've it was just it was basketball nirvana for me. No, you're completely right. This is a series of a lot of smart basketball players with good coaches. And one thing I'd say if as you're watching this series, watch how much these guys communicate with each other. If you can try and see the hand signals. There there's so much communication that's going on when both these teams are out there to your point that they're seeing things before the play's even happening, you know? So it, it's 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 a joy to watch. And as this series progresses, I think it's going to really showcase what both teams can do as far as adjustments go. This is something we really only hear talked about in football, I think. But there's so much communication on both sides here defensively. Is noise ever a factor? When you're down on the court, you've, you've been, I don't know, what's the closest you can get as a media member? Probably 20 feet closer to the actual baseline or sideline out of bounds. Is that ever an issue in these spots, you know, one thing I see Golden State do a lot is if Curry and Clay are pre-switching in like a two-by-two two set, one of them's got the corner, and sometimes that gets bungled. Is noise ever an issue on stuff like that? Sometimes it can be, depending how loud it is, but generally that's why you communicate early and you have that um, camaraderie and understanding with your teammates as far as when we're going to do this, when we're going to do that, and, and how to talk early takes a lot of screaming <laughs> you know but yeah. that's why you see a lot of pointing you see a lot of movement as far as them constantly communicating you can still hear each other I, so I, I only asked because it was slightly loud in the arena last night oh that crowd <laughs> was crazy a, just a little bit loud no that crowd was nuts um that crowd wanted to win so bad and they got one but it's salute to toronto have you ever seen anything like that atmosphere it reminded me of a world cup match just outside oh. in it was crazy that's that's high praise. Um, the one thing that was weird to me is like uh, on Twitter, I kept seeing like other um, Canadian cities having like a Jurassic Park, which I thought was cool, but also kind of strange. Because like we wouldn't do that in America, but that sounds weird. But like <laughs> they're 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 watching the game outside in different places. I thought that was really cool. Well, they only had the, they only have the one team. That's true. So they adopted. You know, it's it's it gets into this whole separate philosophical thing about where you draw boundaries and what you identify with, right? So I grew up in New England and I grew up fifteen, you know, twenty minutes from Fenway Park or something. But if you live in the northern outskirts of Maine, nine hours away, the Red Sox are also your team because that's just New England. That's you get the whole that's thing. True. And I think that's Canada true. Canada has that. You know, maybe if they still had the Grizzlies in Vancouver, maybe British Columbia would not have partaken. <laughs> okay. okay, now I gotta apologize to Canada. It was cool. I'm sorry, Canada. I don't know. Don't be mad at me. On on the Canadian <laughs> on the Canadian side, I did uh find a feed last night that had Matt Devlin and the Canadian crew calling the game. Um uh, just as an alternative to ESPN. And very interestingly, he likes to say random Canadian cities or provinces whenever a Raptors player hits a three. So really, yes. So he'll say, you know, uh, first of all, he's, he doesn't say three. He says three. He likes to say three. Danny Green mm. for three. Mm. And then 
if he makes it, he goes, Danny hit that one from Calgary. Mm. Okay. Every time. Edmonton, okay. Manitoba. Oh, you're killing the no, Canadian. I'm just going, <laughs> trying to get my honorary Canadian. Can you get to seven? We Look, we have a big audience in, in Canada. Halifax. Yellowknife. Before they start cussing me out, I don't want that. <laughs> Where were we? Where, this... um, we were talking about I've sidetracked us. cerebral players and communication. We I were. Wow. That was impressive. Hey, yep. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> any any more relevant thoughts on that? Um, No. I just think it's going to be interesting to see the kind of adjustments that both teams make. Um, because what do you of... think? What do you think they'll make? That's an interesting segue into that. Um, I think I don't know that Golden State will be as aggressive against Kawhi in pick and roll. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I don't know if they'll go back to a drop or if they'll switch, but I, I imagine they're not going to full go out because that's opening up too many opportunities for Toronto on the second level. Um, especially with how good of a passer Mark is and is a decision maker. So I'd imagine they may dial that back a little bit. And then I imagine that they're going to be just more prepared in transition, more prepared to help off certain guys and recover and kind of have a little bit more of a sense of urgency because, you know, they, they kind of got hit in the mouth last night. Yeah, I sometimes I can never tell if the if long layoffs are, you know, they have their pros and cons. And I don't know if it was rust or I really like your data collection theory because I think that kind of lines up with a lot of what Golden State does philosophically when they come into a new series. And man, it's it's the other thing that's weird about this to me is, and you said it at the top, the last four finals have been against Cleveland. And the biggest threats in the last few years have been Houston. Mm-hmm. And so you have these like very, these things that we are very used to. We, we know how the teams match up. We know what they're going to try to do against each other. We've seen it before. And the series I kept going back to here in previewing this was Oklahoma City in 2016 in the Western mm-hmm. Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if you made that connection or if you have thoughts about that, but I certainly didn't see anything last night that threw me off this idea that the length and the speed and the size and the physicality of the Raptors is not only going to cause some problems for Golden State, but I mean, if you took an alien and brought him down to watch this game, they would be like, Boy, that Toronto team must be your best team. And those those Golden State guys, they can shoot. <laughs> no, I think that's a valid point. And I, I think kind of adding on to what you said, the Raptors team does present a unique challenge for Golden State in the sense that it's it's a very complete team. So even with that Oklahoma City team, it was still Westbrook and Durant. And they got contributions, but it was those two. Yep. Cleveland, it was LeBron, it was Kyrie, it was Kevin Love. Okay. Houston, it's been James Harden, Chris Paul. Okay. And you run through some of the teams they face, even Portland, it was Lillard and CJ. They had other guys they could help off of. And I always thought before the series, it was going to be interesting to see if Golden State was going to be able to make that adjustment to having to guard four or five guys. You know, because it's it's not as easy as it seems. Um, Toronto can present some of the same challenges that Cleveland did when Cleveland beat them um, as far as having a great player, having a big that can make good decisions and make shots, 
and having shooters on the floor. So it's going to take some learning for Golden State because they haven't really faced a challenge like this in a little bit, to your point. They haven't faced a team that can defend them, um, that can attack them offensively, that has the length, has the size, has the speed, and has the multiple threats on the court. So it's not a team where you can just say, okay, we're going to take away Kawhi. That's fine. But what do you do about the rest of the guys? You know, it, it's interesting because I always thought the ca- the Cavs series feels so different because with them it was just like, how are they going to stop Golden State? And mm-hmm. you know, they would put these lineups out there where the Cleveland offense was phenomenal. When they had shooters, I mean, even just Kyle Korver action off ball, mm-hmm. spreading the court around the ball. They were great. They were great for years against the entire league. They were great in the playoffs. And they had a lot of success against Golden State. But they just could not outscore Golden State in the long haul. And this is almost like a totally different animal. Uh, and, and I like the connection back to 2016 in the sense that one of the reasons the the Thunder probably ran out of gas a little bit, although it was a very close series, was they just didn't have a lot of other guys mm-hmm. after those top two. I agreed. I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. And I think one thing I'd add is, and I'd ask this question, do you think the Warriors have faced a team or a lineup that can play both ends like this Raptors team can right now? I was struggling to go through one. Because I think, I think Houston last year in sort of an objective theoretical sense, was the best team they've played. And and Houston mm-hmm. last year was a solid defensive team. Mm-hmm. But Toronto, especially in a playoff series, between the personnel and the experience, and I'm starting to really buy in to Nick Nurse. I just keep seeing things that he does that I like. I don't know if you, you like, have... You like the hats, don't lie. Well, you know, first it's the Drew Carey thing and the glasses. Okay, but okay. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead on your Nick Nurse part. I, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Look, here's a question from uh, Twitter. Mason Prince, thoughts on how Golden State is utilizing Boogie Cousins? And and I would add to that before I get your answer, Steve, is um, what would you like to see from Boogie in this series? Repeat the question one more time. I'm sorry. No worries. Thoughts on how Golden State is utilizing Boogie? Well, I think the only the tough part is he only played eight, eight minutes total. So um, I'd probably address what I think he can do and some of the things I thought he showed in those flashes. I think he really does help that second unit and gives them another threat. Um, I think I pulled a clip and put it on Twitter, but they threw it to him in the post. They went to their post splits where they screened. Um, but then when Cousins drove, Toronto sent two or three guys to help. Because he's a threat, you know. You, I think a lot of people are thinking, "Oh, Boogie Cousins, he's not the same. They shouldn't be playing him." That's a guy Toronto is going to pay attention to, and that's going to open up shots for other people. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets with Steph and Clay and Draymond. Um, obviously, they're trying to build him up as he just came back, but that's a guy that it's very difficult to ignore, and they need they got to find a way to get him on the court. Now, defensively, I thought he was active. The problem for him in this game wasn't necessarily the first pick and roll. It was the second pick and roll. And so he's good at... Speak to that more. He's good at being in position on that first screen. So, you know, if his man sets ones, he's going to be in position. He's going to help. He's going to let the guard recover and then get back to his man. 
But then if there's another screen, so his man comes back to set another one, that one's tough for him to get back up to a position. He might get beat on that one. I think Van Fleet, uh, Van Vliet got him on one in this game. So that's going to be something that Golden State has to monitor because the secret sauce of the Warriors is how well their bigs play. Um, and the dynamic with Cousins is he gives them an offensive force that they really haven't had at that position as far as someone you can throw into the post, pick and pop, pick and roll, et cetera. But he's got to be able to back that up on the other end. And honestly, it's a shame for me from a basketball perspective that we didn't really get to see fully what he looked like with this team. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I and I think the physical limitations that he has right now, my, my take on offense, and it seems like this is what he's going to be for the series, is you bring him in, on the second team, mm-hmm. and then you can unleash. You know, he he can almost become like a high post hub because of his passing. Mm-hmm. And you saw I th- it was one of the first plays of the second quarter. You saw it right away. Uh, he just hit Clay on a basic back yep. door. Someone was overplaying him, and it's just a layup. Mm-hmm. And and Golden State outside of Draymond, you know, they don't really ever have bigs that can pass like that. And him being a big that can do that adds another def- dimension on offense. But to your point. What do you lose or what can you sustain defensively with him on the court? I, I don't know yet. No, I, I completely agree. And I, I think I just wonder how many more minutes he gets. You know, I, I imagine he'll play right. more than eight. But how many how long of stretches can he play him? You know, right, um, right, right. They if Katie's going to be out, they need his versatility offensively so they can kind of run some more things um, because. Again, it's just Looney and Bell just weren't as effective as they have been in previous games in Game 1. So Durant is ruled out for Game 2. As as of recording this just before we recorded, ruled out for Game 2. Kerr said something along the line. I don't know if you saw this. Kerr said something along the lines of, you know, um, we, we're still viewing him as day-to-day, but he it's not one of those things where he has, like, pain in his leg and he can just start playing through it. He needs to be right. Because if he re-injures it, he's done for the series, and it's they're cooked. So he still hasn't started practicing. It's looking like Game 3 would be the earliest return for Durant. And that actually gets into my biggest thing before the series, which was wing depth. And I would amend it after last night to say defensive wing depth. Uh, you know, the second Iguodala was holding his leg and limping off the court, to me it just became really apparent. It's like, wow, okay. I was a little worried about Golden State's de- Golden State's depth, but how many wing defenders do they have that can actually execute a scheme and play against guys like Kawhi and Pascal when needed, and you know even Kyle Lowry on switches and so on and so forth? Probably Sean Livingston, right? And that's about it. And yeah. that's no no disrespect to McKinney, but teams are gonna be willing to attack McKinney. At this stage in his career. And I mean, even if he's out there, what's after that? Yeah, that's it. I mean, unless you just want to go really, really small um, or go really, really big and try and throw Jarebko out there as a three. (laughs) But um, no, that that is a valid concern for them. How do you feel about all this talk about the series when it's going to be a completely different series if KD comes back? Ooh, you mean all of the talk we've done with him aside or the idea that, you, that 
help me explain what you're asking because I've uh, I'm, I'm a little definitely I'm definitely not asking are the Warriors better without KD. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> so I don't want any tweets about that. No, uh, just we're analyzing a series that will be fundamentally different. Yes, if and when Kevin Durant comes back. Well, this is where the wing depth thing comes into me mm-hmm. because I actually think that they need Durant more on defense in this series. That's my hot take. Ooh. Explain. I'm listening. Well, just based on exactly what we were talking about. So there's two big reasons. One is just the lack of defensive bodies who are wings who can really be relevant in this series and give Golden State key minutes. I just think that's so thin. Like you said, it's Livingston off the bench, Clay Thompson starting, obviously, and McKinney, maybe? Right? Maybe. Okay. So... If that's the case, all of a sudden getting even 25 or 30 minutes from Kevin Durant is a huge boost, and I think that helps a lot. Defensively, it helps. I mean, Durant to me is a better on-ball defender than a team defender, but in those situations where you switch or think about where he he gets switched up onto Pascal Siakam all of a sudden. Yep. Right? He's not eating as easily anymore. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying, yep, I was just agreeing. Sorry. Okay, so that's, that's well, that's part one. And part two is really where I wanted to kind of finish our, our thoughts on this, so we've segued ourselves into it nicely. Will we see any Draymond small ball lineups? That was my little note to myself. Will we see this? And I think without Durant, the answer seems to be no. I'm not even sure how structurally they could put that unit on the court. You bring Durant back all of a sudden, and now you can run that Draymond... KD, Steph, Iguodala, Clay Thompson, or if Iguodala's out or can't play the minutes, Livingston or whatever. Without Kevin Durant, I don't know how much they want to go to that Draymond small ball lineup. Just because, back to your point, the wing depth, it what does it look like? You know, is it Sean Livingston? I mean, is it Quinn it, Cook? It like who ugly. is who is the person that steps into that lineup? Right. And I think the one thing that Golden State has done is they they try not to throw that lineup just to throw that lineup out there. Um, I think because of the way it works when KD is there, that's a team that's really hard on both ends of the court. And I think we've, we've talked about this before where a lot of teams before would just go small to go small. Um, but this is a Golden State team that can go small and play both ends. I don't know where that lineup has an advantage um, without KD in it. Just because offensively, you got two, three guys you can help off of. And then defensively, who's guarding who? Right, right. So that's, what I'm, that's what I'm selling here. I think they can put units on the court that score. Obviously, building your off, if you've got Draymond and Steph and Clay all out there at the same time, it just causes problems for everyone. And they can put guys... I mean, even Jarebko is a great example, right? Like, what's Jarebko's single biggest strength as a player? To me, it's probably just spot-up shooting. Occasional threes, hard works. Right, uh, exactly. Screens, ball yeah, movement. Exactly. Yeah. That's being what happy he, to be in, that's in what the he finals. Does. That's happy. <laughs> Got some run and made a couple buckets. But But this is what he does, right? So how many lineups can you construct without Kevin Durant that are really good defensive lineups. And let me add this thing because it's probably the single biggest reason why I ended up leaning toward Golden State when scouting the series. With those small ball lineups, historically the Warriors have still been fantastic defensively. 
Mm-hmm. Right, and that's something I didn't. I didn't even realize how good they are. I had a, a piece for Patreons last week that was about how if you start to look at the numbers, Golden State's actually a defensive dynasty. They may be an offensive one as well, but their defense is incredible in the postseason, and a lot of it has to do with these the success of these kinds of small ball lineups. And I just don't see defensive personnel without KD, especially if Iggy's not going to be able to play, you know, thirty thirty five minutes. They're just stuck. That's my hot well, take. No, that, that that is a spicy take right there. A, a spicy the, P? <laughs> yeah, you brought the spicy P. That's been all over today. I feel like the, all I've seen is spicy P hot sauce bottles and Drake calling Draymond trash. That's all I've seen today. Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't love that nickname either, but I have very weird quirks about like nicknames are one of my favorite things about players. And I'm like, why can't we get amazing nicknames? For this generation of players, I mean, you know, the older generation, Doctor Duncanstein and you know, Big Whopper Paltz, and now I'm just now I'm dating myself. Steve, take you over, went, save me. You went, you went way back, and anyone who hears this is about to Google all of these people you talked about. Now, here's my question: What is the replacement for Sir Pascal? I don't know yet, but I just know it's like it's like one of those things you just you just know it when you see it. Ah, okay. Right, I like spicy. I when I heard spicy P, I thought, "Who's that for?" And then, Paul oh George. no, it was for Pascal. It's like, hmm, that doesn't seem to fit at all. That doesn't seem Paul, right. Paul George was mad. He wishes he had called himself Spicy P instead of Playoff P. P- <laughs> PG thirteen. Yes. Did he ever embrace that, or did everyone he, else? He just did. Call he, him that. Okay. No, he did embrace it. Um, okay. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think? Do you feel better about Toronto's chances, or do you feel like that was an unsustainable performance? I don't think I feel much differently than I did heading into Game One, with the with the caveat that I think I was, and this was in the first. I think I tweeted about it at the, like the five minute timeout. I was about ten percent more impressed with how physically big and dominant they looked. And again, I was kind of thinking this is the the 2016 OKC team with all those athletes was a parallel, and it just popped to me, popped off the court. So, no. mm-hmm. yeah, that makes ahead. sense. Uh, what I think it's, and this is something I I am thinking about in the Milwaukee series, they they lost the quote unquote Cal Lowry game in Game One, right, where he played off the charts and they ended up losing. He was two for nine, and it didn't matter. Like, is that not odd? Like, if if Toronto had lost, everyone would have been making playoff Lowry jokes, but they won. I didn't think he played poorly. I mean, no, he didn't play poorly. Right, he didn't I thought play he poorly. played well. I thought he played very yeah. well. I always think he plays well. But it's just interesting that usually he's such a focal point of what they need scoring wise. He's two for nine, and they still won by ten. Well, this is Pascal becoming sort of the second. Scoring uh-huh. guy, right? And he has, the, uh-huh. you know, the only times I think that he hasn't, there was one was the the first Embiid game where they switched onto him and that just caused problems and, you know, nothing that I don't think was too shocking based on his skill set. And then he was in foul trouble a couple times against the Bucks, and his scoring numbers were down. But other than that, he's been, I mean, he's had a bunch of 20 and 30 point games in the playoffs. You know, and I think Lowry's skill set to to the point we're making here about how we both thought he played well last night, it's not necessarily scoring twenty or twenty five points. Even if you take nine field goals, maybe one or two of those is late in the clock. 
He did all the other things that Kyle Lowry does well, including he had some phenomenal passes last night, Steve. Oh, he's great passing. Man. Took some charges. He he was he was great. Yeah. I just it's just funny because usually that's a team that relies on him to be aggressive offensively, and they were able to get a win even with him in single digits. You know, I thought that was good for them. Yeah, and I think some of that is, uh, and we do this sometimes as as journalists and narratives and fans. You say, oh. Player A only had X, you know. Oh, Curry, mm-hmm. Curry only had eighteen. Well, Durant was cooking. the 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 defense did not adjust appropriately. So no, that's let... too much. That's too much. No, too much nuance. <laughs> I apologize. What was I thinking? No, you gotta get out of here. You need a hot take. Nuance on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Oh uh, man, I just it, I want to see game two. So I can really get a full a full taste of it because even as I rewatch this game, it's something's missing. I don't know if it's just Kevin Durant, but something's Golden State just didn't have that same zip. And I'm glad you didn't go rest versus rest on me because I was gonna I was gonna throw everything away if you did that. No, no, I don't. Okay, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, this was awesome. Thanks so much for coming by. Tell tell everybody where they can find you, what's going on, what what you want them to know about, all that fun jazz. Hey, you just follow me on Twitter, at SteveJones20. I will come with the lukewarm tapes, uh, the lukewarm <laughs> takes and some footage for you guys to watch. Many thanks to Steve for coming on. I really enjoyed that conversation that we had. Once again, you can follow him on Twitter, at SteveJones20. It's at Steve Jones 20. If you're not already following him and you're into X's and O's, scheming, game planning, counters, all these kinds of things that go on during the course of the game, he is a wonderful follow. He does in-game threads sometimes during the playoffs where he'll break down what's happening five minutes right after it happened. He's got a great eye for the game and you can learn a lot. I always learn stuff from him. So huge thanks to Steve at Steve Jones 20 on Twitter. Also, as always, a huge thanks to Patreon supporters. A lot of new Patreon supporters lately. I'm very grateful for you guys. Hope you're enjoying all of the content, not only that I put out everywhere, but Patreon-only content that is now available on backpicks.com. Just sign in, log through with your Patreon, you get access to it. And otherwise, hope you guys are really enjoying the finals. I know I am. Game one was wild and looking forward to what comes up in the next few games. And as always, hope you're having a great day.